We've been going through and we've been, we've been moving along in the series and understanding the Bible. Trust that it's been helpful. It's been helpful to me being able to uh, uh, look through these different uh, uh, items and, and, and areas, learning about the Bible more. And uh, I trust that we've learned a number of things. And what I'd like to do is just real quickly review that. And so we're kind of on the same page here. But again, we had the two goals of, uh, of this as far as understanding the Bible. The two goals, first of all, is to take a look at the overwhelming evidence that demonstrates that the Bible is not just another book or mere ink on paper, but that it is really from God, the Word of God. And I think we've kind of accomplished that goal fairly well already and uh, move more towards the second goal that we had for this, this series, Understanding the Bible, and that is to motivate and encourage and to challenge and inspire each one of us to read the Bible like never before, because it is from God, and there will be some tools and some principles that will be given that will help and equip us to understand uh, God's Word better. And on that first Sunday when we started out, we learned that if a non-contingent, uncaused by anything else, self-sufficient, self-reliant, all-powerful, intelligent, always existing, unique, good, and moral God who loves us were to write a book, it would be the most amazing book ever written. And the Bible is that book, and therefore you can trust what it says, since the Bible is unique in a class of its own. It's accurate. We can trust what it says. It's supernatural. It knows some stuff that only God could know. It's, and it's transforming. It radically changes the lives of people. And then on that second Sunday of the series, we learned that the Bible has one overriding theme, purpose, and storyline, and that is the coming of Christ. And from Genesis to Revelation, that theme is uh, revealed. And, G and the, the theme of Jesus' coming is the message of the Old Testament. Jesus is here is the message of the four Gospels. And Jesus is coming again is the message of the rest of the New Testament. And then on the third Sunday, we looked at the canon of the Bible and how we can be totally confident that our Bibles contain the books that God intended. Uh, no books were, are missing, and there aren't any books in there that shouldn't be in there. And then the, the fourth Sunday, we looked at the transmission of the text. Uh, the Bible has been copied so much and so early that we can be confident that we have the original text. And though uh, these manuscripts were copied by hundreds of different people over centuries, living in different places, not one single variant touches any core teachings of our faith. And then last Sunday, we also looked at the various translations that are out there, um, be able to obtain for us today. And about how there really is no best translation. Uh, there's the word-for-word word on that, uh, scale, that line, word-for-word word at one end, and then thought-for-thought thought translation on the other, and, uh, and somewhere in between or a lot of the other translations. And uh, the, we hopefully discovered and remembered that the best move in finding translation is, is to use more than one translation in your Scripture studies, because then you get a broader sense of what God's Word is meaning. That brings us up to speed and ready for today's message, which is, which is entitled, uh, You Are What You Eat. You Are What You Eat. Eating is something that our, our culture knows a lot about. We're pretty serious about our eating, even here at Happy Valley. I mean, later on, after the service, you're going to go down downstairs, have a little snack, right? A little fellowship. We, once a month, once a month the last uh, fourth Sunday, we have a fellowship meal together. 
all those things. Maybe you'll go home today and you'll probably have another meal with your family or something like that. Uh, but pretty serious about our eating, especially around here. I mean, what do you find at the center of malls? The food courts, right. Town center has them, They're right there, food courts. What do we have on almost every street corner? Restaurants, all over. Uh, food usually plays a pivotal role also too at movie theaters, right? You go to movie theater, if you can afford it, you get popcorn, you can get some candy, maybe some pop, whatever. Um, so it, when watching sporting events, there needs to be something to eat and drink, especially if you have that Super Bowl party, right? A Super Bowl party without food is, is no good. If, you have, if you've ever tried to go to Red Robin over at Clackamas area there on a Friday or Saturday night, good luck. With Chick-fil-A across the parking lot, it almost becomes impossible to even just get into the parking lot. It's crazy. Food has become a national pastime in our country. There are literally hundreds of TV shows centered around food and cooking. Uh, Gordon Ramsay has become a well-known household name these days. And I think uh, food even has its own TV network. Like the Food Network, is that right? We are what we eat. And we eat a lot, and, or at least we think about food a lot. But in your mind and your heart, what you eat is what you study. The Apostle Paul, Abraham Lincoln, Gigas Khan, Adolf Hitler, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther, they were all students. They were all students. Each made a serious study of a certain philosophy, a system of, of, of thought and action. And their mind and heart fed off of what they studied. Martin Luther is a monk who studied St. Augustine as well as a philosophy known as nominalism. But he was transformed by a deep study of Paul's letter to the Romans. And then a careful reread of the entire Bible. Very serious looking guy, isn't he? Martin Luther. Malcolm X. Malcolm X began reading widely while in prison for larceny, but then he fell especially under the spell of Elijah Muhammad, who was the leader of the black separatist religious movement known as the Nation of Islam, sometimes called black Muslims. Adolf Hitler was a sulking and awkward teenager, stung twice by, re by rejection from Vienna's elite art school. He came under the teaching of Friedrich Nietzsche's uh, will to power philosophy, and Richard Wagner's uh, anti-Semitic nationalistic music that paid homage to the pagan gods of Nordic and Teutonic uh, legend. Each of them, each of these guys and others were, were shaped by the books they read and reread, <laughs> the, the art they surrounded themselves with, the music they soaked themselves in, and also the teachers they bowed down to. In heart and mind, they were what they ate. In his book, Your God is Too Safe, Mark Buchanan describes study this way. He says, study is the ingesting and digesting, the chewing and swallowing, and being filled with ideas, images, thoughts, and attitudes. To browse an idea, to skim it and dabble in it, that's like getting a whiff of food, maybe a faint taste on the tongue. But to study, to really plunge into the depth of a thing, to interrogate it and allow it to interrogate you, to probe it and be probed by it, that is study. That is eating. Now, in many places, the Bible 
uses the metaphor of eating in connection with God's word. Jeremiah writes in the 15th chapter of his book, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet tells us about his call from God, and as he does, he, we see this metaphor of eating once again. Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll and then go and speak to the house of Israel. Do you see the, the progression there? You, you eat first, then you go and speak. Progression. John chapter 6, Jesus tells a great multitude of people that they must eat his words if they are to have eternal life. The one who feeds on me will live because of me. In Revelation chapter 10 as well, in verses 10 and 11, we see the Apostle John meeting up with an angel who holds a scroll of God's word, and he tells John, like he told Ezekiel, that he must eat the scroll before he can go out and preach it. The idea of eating God's word is a biblical concept, but before you get the, the, the wrong idea here, <laughs> let me tell you about the Ethiopian emperor Menelik II, who took this literally, and I hope... I, Trust nobody's taking this literally. But whenever he got sick, he'd actually eat actual pages from the Bible, believing that this would cure him. It is said that he died in 1913 after ingesting the entire book of 2 Kings. <laughs> I don't recommend eating of God's Word that way. It's not the kind of eating that we need to begin diving into this morning. The kind of eating we need to participate in is the spiritual discipline of studying God's Word. And this is often referred to as this $50 seminary word, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, that comes from the Greek word which means to explain or interpret. Now, it's as opposed to the somewhat popular belief that it's uh, hermeneutics is some guy named Herman who had a uh, vast knowledge of blood-sucking parasites. That's not what this is. Hermeneutics, you'll get it later on, but anyway. We see Jesus, though, uh, using a form of this word in Luke chapter 24 while he's walking with uh, these two guys on the road to Emmaus who had lost hope because Jesus had died. It says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And a noun f uh, form of this verb is Hermes, was, which was the name given to the Greek god who was the spokesman or interpreter for the other gods. You see a, a perfect rendition of him back there. <laughs> Whenever Zeus or some other notable deity had a message for the human race, Hermes, the messenger god, was the one to get it done. He brought the message from the gods to all the people. And this explains why in Acts chapter 14, we read that after Paul preached the message of the gospel and then healed a cripple at uh, Lystra, the people thought that the gods had come to visit them. It says, and they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the main speaker. So the term hermeneutics is simply the practice or discipline of interpretation or explanation, especially when it relates to the Bible. Mark Moore writes in his book, Seeing God in HD, he, says, he describes hermeneutics as both a science as well as an art. And this science isn't a hard science that can be reduced to test tubes and, and element charts, but a science of, of language, 
specifically the science of the way that language works in everyday life. You know, language has rules. Rules about words, grammar, context, parallel passages, historical setting, reading and understanding specific genres, like we have in our Bible, Psalms and the Gospels, prophetic writings and the narratives. Language has rules. If you ever tried to, you know, using Rosetta Stone or whatever it was, to try to figure out another language, you found out that there's some rules there that are kind of difficult in some of the other languages. I'm so glad I don't have to learn English. <laughs> wow! There's some rules there that just don't make sense. Uh, who made up these rules anyway? Mark Moore answers the question by, write, by writing this. He says, no one and everyone. Oh, thank you. That's great. No one and everyone. And he says, it's not like a bunch of theologians sneaked off to some cathedral in the Alps and came down with a list of divine hermeneutical do's and don'ts. These rules come from observing how language works in the rough and tumble of real life. They are observations about the, the language of the marketplace and the blog, the sitcom, and the comedy central. This is why we can say that hermeneutics is truly a science. It comes from observing this incredibly complex and eminently fascinating phenomenon we call language. So her hermeneutics is more than just uh, scientific rules. It also requires a certain degree of artistic skills. Uh, for example, Ladies, what if your husband makes the following statement behind me on, on the board? Wow, she is really hot. Well, you may not know what these words really mean without the help of your inner artist. Uh, if he is sitting on the edge of the bed after taking your daughter's temperature, then those words mean she has a pretty significant fever. But if he says those same words... As a beautiful woman walks by your table at a restaurant, those words mean something entirely different, and that husband is now officially in the doghouse. If he says uh, those same words as you pull your car over to the side of the road and steam is pouring out of, a, out of the hood and the temperature gauge is peak to high, well, those words mean something entirely different. So you get, it's not just scientific part, it's the artistic part of it as well. Language can be kind of slippery. We do have a confusing language. Something that is hot can also be cool. Something bad can be good. <laughs> Boxing rings are square. Uh, we drive on parkways, park on driveways. And restrooms are the, are the last place you actually would probably want to take a nap. Um, but rules alone, though, are not sufficient. Rules alone. Understanding and studying the Bible requires both the rules of, of the linguistic science and the skills of an artist. And this brings us to the second goal of our series that I've already mentioned of the understanding the Bible, which again is to motivate, encourage, challenge, and inspire everyone to read the Bible like never before, because it is from God. And there will be tools and principles given that will equip each one of us to understand God's Word better. Something I trust that we'll be able to accomplish through this time together. So let me share with you today several motivations uh, or reasons, I guess, why you should begin studying or, or deepen your study of the Bible and why we should really care about learning some basic hermeneutic skills. So let's look at this first one. Reason to study God's Word is because the Bible is the Word of God. <laughs> Bible is the Word of God. If the Bible is just a collection of 66 different books with some good advice, 
and it doesn't deserve the level of study or commitment that each of us need to make. But this is more than just a book of wise sayings and good advice. This is the very words of God. In 2 Peter, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians, it says, You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And then over in 2 Timothy, we read the familiar words, All Scripture is God-breathed. The Bible is basically the owner's manual for life, written by the author of life. We would be very, it'd be very beneficial to us if we take heed to what this owner's manual has for us. It answers life's most important questions, like, is there a God? Why am I here? How did we get here? How can I resist temptation? Is there life after death? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? What is God's will for my life? What is love? How do I find joy through suffering? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? How can I be a better parent or even a better person? What is the kind of life that leads to lasting satisfaction and contentment? All of these things. God's Word helps us and guides us into that, gives us some answers in that. And since this book is the words of the maker of heaven and earth, God, it will be around forever. Max Lucado puts it this way. He says, The Bible has been banned, burned, scoffed, and ridiculed. Scholars have mocked it as foolish. Kings have branded it as illegal. A thousand times over, the grave has been dug and the dirge has begun. But, not, but somehow, the Bible never stays in the grave. Not only has it survived, it has thrived. It's the single most popular book in all of history. It has been the best-selling book in the world for years. In 1 Peter, we read the first chapter there, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. What you have in your hands, God's word, the Bible, is something that is important to study, something that we need to get involved with. And if you are involved with it right now in study, then I encourage you to get deeper in it. Continue to study God's word. It is the Word of God. The second reason, or another reason, we should study the Bible is because the Bible nourishes us spiritually. The Bible nourishes us spiritually. Do you pretty much eat every day? Somewhat? Pretty much eat every day. Are you aware throughout the day when your body needs nourishment? Your, your, your stomach probably starts growling or whatever. And you, oops, pardon me, excuse me. <laughs> I didn't mean to make that much noise with my stomach. Some of us, including myself, need very little encouragement to eat physically. <laughs> I don't need a lot of encouragement. But some of you have found out that if you don't eat, your body doesn't work so well. You lose energy. You get tired. Maybe you get a headache, and maybe you get cranky. Maybe you get a little hangry. But in the same way that we are aware of our need for physical nourishment... We need to be aware of our need for the spiritual nourishment that comes from God's Word. If we were to have everyone pass by a screen that you'd see like in the cartoons, 
and it's an x-ray screen, and the, the cartoon character passes behind it, and you see all these bones and stuff like that. If we were to have a special x-ray screen that would show how we are doing uh, spiritually in, in nourish, nourishing our spiritual uh, self, wonder what some of us would look like as we pass by that screen. If it looked like, oh, you are doing great, you're healthy. Or would some of us pass by that screen and go, oh my goodness, we need to call 911 right now. <laughs> we can tell physically where we're at. Because we have those indicators. We get sick, we get headaches, whatever. Spiritually, we've got some indicators as well. When we're probably not doing what we should be doing. When we're probably uh, wishing we had made a better choice in situations. Probably we could have... Uh, nourished ourselves spiritually to get ourselves ready for situations like that. For feeding on God's Word, if we're reading it and studying it, then we're feeding our, our spiritual self in that way. Spiritual nourishment. We really, really need it. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, which by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The Hebrew writer here uh, describes the Bible as milk and solid food and the process that needs to happen there. Some of us are still around with sucking on a, a bottle of milk when we should be getting into the, the meat and ripping into that and just enjoying the solid food that uh, the Bible can offer for us. Look what Peter says in his first letter about the Word of God. He says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Elliot and Ransom, they're, they're enjoying that, that milk quite a bit. And that's what they need to be nourished. We as God's people need to be craving God's Word and be able to study it and read it. The Bible nourishes us spiritually. Another reason to study the Bible is because the Bible encourages us to see ourselves as we are. The Bible encourages us to see ourselves as we are. Yeah, there are two ways to know what you look like. One is a photograph, and the other is a mirror. And I suppose a third way to see the expression on the face of the one who is looking at you as well. Yes, that is a, a, a Ransom's first selfie with his grandpa. Well, I'm guessing that this morning, when you got up, you didn't get out of bed, pick up a photograph, and say, man, I'm looking good today. And you head off to start your day. I would assume that you walked over, looked in the mirror, <laughs> and you said, oh, I've got some work to do here to get yourself ready for the day. And then you invested some time and effort making the necessary changes to your appearance. Listen to what James says. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror 
and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. My prayer is that we will all be blessed in what we do and not forget what we look like. <laughs> that we do what God's Word says. The Bible is a mirror. The Bible shows you the things in your life that you need to correct so that you can look like what God wants you to look like. We don't study the Bible to impress people with our superior knowledge. The purpose of studying the Scripture is to help you straighten out your life so you, you will look more like the one in whose image you've been made so that you can more accurately re reflect His glory. The goal is not for us to get through the Scriptures. The goal is for the Scriptures to get through us. <laughs> get God's Word in us and, and live it out. Last, uh, last year, I made a couple trips back to Ohio, last couple years, to settle the estate, uh, my father's estate. And by the way, that's almost going to be done. I'm so thankful for this. Um, but going there, of course, traveling by, by plane, had to stop at different airports. And I remember the you know, Atlanta airport was one hub that, that would get and take me on up then to Akron Canton. Um, there's another one in Detroit that we made a stop in. I think another one was, not all at once, I mean, these are different trips, okay? <laughs> and one stop uh, on the way. And at another time going out there, I think we stopped, uh, oh, Chicago, I believe. Anyway, there are a lot of different places that it did. And so I'm flying alone on one of these times, uh, a couple of them, I guess. But I get to the airport, like Atlanta, and I'm looking around, I'm thinking, I'm coming off the plane out of the gate and, and, and entering this airport, and everyone's going everywhere, and I'm just going, okay, how do I know where to go? <laughs> and so what do you do? You go find a, a screen or whatever, it says where you need to go and all that. But they also had those handy little maps that would show uh, the whole diagram of, of the airport, and then it would have a dot where you were. This is where you are. I also had a fun little app I could follow where I was going. I said, here I go, all right, and find my way through the airport. But it had that dot on that map. Here's where you are. You are here. You know, the Bible helps us find our red dot that says you are here and then guides us to where we need to be. It's kind of hard to get to where you need to be if you don't know where you are. Believe me, <laughs> in those airports, hard time trying to find where you need to go if you don't know where you are. But the Bible encourages us to see ourselves as we are. Another reason to study the Bible is that the Bible exposes false teaching. The Bible exposes false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching out in our world today. There are many who claim to be following the Word of God, but instead have distorted and have twisted it. There are cults who in name claim Christ, while at the same time dethrone Him and devalue His Word. Even within what is considered to be mainstream Christianity, there are false and dangerous teachings that are not found in the Bible. Although this is not a good thing, it shouldn't surprise us, really. Uh, after all, Jesus warned about false teachers in the Sermon on the Mount. And much of the New Testament was written to expose false teaching. Like in 1 John 
chapter 4, verse 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. And in Acts chapter 17, it says, The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Now, I've mentioned this before. Same thing. You guys hold me accountable. It is what I'm preaching from God's Word or not? And I encourage you to go, don't just take it lock, stock, and barrel and go, that's great. Do some study yourself. See if you come up with some things in, in, in Scripture, uh, especially from certain messages that have been preached. And so you, too, do the exercise of hermeneutics as well. And you look into God's Word that way. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says his letters, and, and Peter's talking about uh, Paul's letters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter reminding us, search scripture. Be on your toes spiritually. Don't fall for the deception of the false teachers. So the Bible exposes false teaching. Another reason to study the Bible is because the Bible empowers us to resist temptation. The Bible empowers us to resist temptation. And Psalm 119 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word and following its rules. I have tried my best to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. And so be on your guard. <clears throat> a regular diet of the word will enable the Holy Spirit to work in your life. When you regularly read God's Word, you have the tendency to overcome temptation rather than give into it because you have God's Word coming back to you, never returning void, coming back to you and reminding you of the way to go. You know, one of the best ways to use the Word to defeat temptation is to memorize passages. Memorize those passages, especially the ones that deal with whatever your struggle is. Anger insecurity, maybe lust, whatever it might be. And we put God's Word in our minds and be able to live it out to get into our hearts. Memorizing Scripture is very, very powerful. And some of you might say, well, I, don't, I can't remember anything. Well, read it over and over again and try it and see what happens. <laughs> At least you're reading God's Word over and over again. <laughs> Those portions of Scripture. And I'm sure God will bring that back to you. Another reason... Another reason to study the Bible is that the Bible brings transformation. The Bible brings transformation. In Romans chapter 12, familiar verse says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect, perfect will. Romans 12, verse 2. And then also, too, in Hebrews chapter 4, says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
So the Word of God is living, is active, and it helps to transform us by renewing our mind, by judging the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts, the place where real transformation begins. And we need to give that over to God, that area. The brilliant Jewish philosopher Dennis Prager was debating Jonathan Glover, the atheistic philosopher from Oxford. And uh, Prager asked this question. He says, so let's say you arrived in L.A. and were driving through a rough part of the city at 2 a.m. and your car dies. You open the hood and you're looking under it when you hear approaching footsteps. You look up and ten big burly men are approaching you. Now, would it or would it not make a difference to you if you knew they were just coming from a Bible study? <laughs> of course, Glover laughed and admitted it would be, it would be com- consoling, comforting if you knew that. And why? Because even cynics have to admit that the Bible has the power to transform people's lives. Martin Luther said this. He said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. Has the living word of God ever spoke to you? Has it ever run after you? Has it laid a hold of you and told you about something in your life that needed changing? The word of God is living and active. It will transform your life. It brings about transformation. Another reason to study the Bible is because the Bible is a source of comfort and Hope, source of comfort and hope. In Psalm 119, it says, Your promises to me are my hope. They give me strength in all my troubles, how they refresh and revive me. And in the same uh, Psalm, Psalm 119, verses 50 and 52, When I am hurting, I find comfort in your promise that leads to life. I find true comfort, Lord, because your laws have stood the test of time. And then again, uh, verse 147 of that same psalm, I rise up early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. It's a source of comfort. It's a source of hope. And if we're not getting into God's word and studying it, then we're missing out on that. If you feel, feel like you, you have, have no hope in life, if you feel like you're just listless and you, there's no comfort coming to you, well, then check your Bible. Is it getting dusty? Dust it off, open it up, start studying. Get into God's Word. Read it. Read it. When you study the Bible, you will uncover some incredible words from God that will comfort you and will give you hope. Let me share just one with you, found here in the book of Isaiah. But Zion said, The Lord has, has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. So, many believers, though, because they do not study the Bible, live without the hope. They live without the comfort. They don't know the promises that are before them that they can receive. There's many other portions of Scripture, too, that can be mentioned here, but... I encourage you, you know, you mostly have, most of you have the study Bibles, and maybe even just a Bible that says, in time of whatever, go to this scripture. That's great, do it. (laughs) Get to that. 
When you're feeling lonely, turn to this person. When you're feeling sad, yeah, do that. There should be a, a page like that in your Bible or, or, you know, the Internet is a wonderful thing. Look it up that way too. Be able to find a bunch of scriptures that will point you back to God's comfort and His hope. Another reason to study the Bible is because uh, the Bible is the foundation for a storm-weathering life. Storm-weathering life. You know, storms are going to come. Life's storms. <laughs> we get these storms quite a bit, right? We've gone through a number of days here with a bit of rain and a bit of wind at times. But though when, when life storms come beating at your, at your door, when life storms come and, and sweep you off your feet, when life storms take your breath away, when you're not really anticipating how big of a storm this is, God's Word is there to help you build that foundation for a storm-weathering life. You can weather the storms of life when you have that, that foundation of God's Word in you. Matthew chapter 7 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the storms rose, and, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. May we be building our foundations with God's Word in our life so that we don't come down in a big old crash when, storms, when the life storms come our way. We can build that foundation for a storm-weathering life when we study God's Word. And then one last uh, reason to study the Bible is that the Bible has an extremely important purpose. Extremely important purpose. What is the purpose of this book? Is it to transplant the dress and food and culture of the first century church to today? Live like the, uh, the first church, right? First century church. Some religions go into great detail about clothing and customs, assuming that this, this is the goal of God and the Bible. Is the purpose of the Bible to provide its readers with a secret code of prophecy, which, once deciphered, will reveal the day on which our Lord will return and explain in detail the modern political systems of the 21st century? I don't know. I, I, I don't think that's really the purpose. Is the Bible's purpose to provide a how-to manual for health, wealth, and prosperity? Some think so. Is the purpose of the Bible to hide deep meanings behind maybe numbers or letters or names and other things that only a few have the ability to discover because they have the, the knowledge of that? I'm, I doubt it. Is the purpose of the Bible to provide people with ammunition for already held beliefs? <laughs> Better not be. People use this book to justify both the Crusades and slavery, so be careful. The Bible may have thoughts on some of these subjects, but none of them identifies the purpose of Scripture. The Bible itself tells us what the purpose of Scripture is all about. Take a look at these passages of Scripture that have, have, have with, uh, within them the, uh, a threefold purpose of Scripture. 
Hebrews chapter 1, long ago God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, and now in these final days He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His Word. 2 Timothy, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. John chapter 20, by these, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, once again, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. So threefold purpose here found in these portions of Scripture. One is to reveal God to us. Reveal God to us. The Bible tells us things about God's character and His nature so that we will know what He is like. If God did not reveal Himself to us through His Word, we would know as much about Him as a bug crawling on the floor knows about us. God reveals Himself to us in His Word. Another purpose of uh, the Bible is to reveal the way of salvation. Reveal the way of salvation. The Bible helps us discover the way of being reconciled to the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is good news. And from Genesis after chapter 3, Genesis all the way through, the Bible tells us about how to get back in relationship with God. So it reveals the way of salvation. And third, thirdly, it reveals the life He desires us to live. It reveals the life He desires us to live. The Bible reveals and equips God's people to live the life that He desires, a life that displays God's glory. You know, as salt and light... As stars shining in the dark, living out the fruit of the Spirit, all those things. God wants us to do those things. He reveals that life He desires us to live. So the purpose of Scripture is not information, it's transformation. To transform our lives and what He wants us to be. So as you study the Bible, there, there are a lot of different ways you can go and there's a lot of good questions to be asked. But I would encourage you, Three questions you can ask yourself that kind of coincides with the threefold purpose of, the, of this, uh, this Bible is, first of all, does this passage reveal something about God? As you study Scripture, is there something going on here that I can see that reveals something about God? Does it reveal something about the salvation that I have in Christ? Another question you can ask yourself as you're studying God's Word. And a third question you ask yourself is, it, does it reveal something about the life God both desires and empowers me to live? How am I supposed to live now as I've read this portion of Scripture? So when we study God's Word, we need to realize the Bible is the Word of God. It nourishes us spiritually. It encourages us to see ourselves as we are. It exposes false teaching. It empowers us to resist temptation. It brings transformation. It is a source of comfort and hope. And it is the foundation for a storm-weathering life. And it has an extremely important purpose about who God is, what salvation is, and how to live. Study God's Word? Definitely. Definitely study God's Word. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I'm going to lead us in one last song. And as I do, let me finish, kind of wrap this up with this portion of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 13. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, 
so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. God's word's important. Get it into our lives to study it. If that's something that's been missing in your life, maybe today is the day where you just come before God and you say, I realize your God is really important, but I really haven't been spending a lot of time in it. I want to begin today to spend more time. And in prayer, you can say, God, help me with this. Because you know the distractions in your life. You know what's going to happen. You'll get going with this. Read God's Word the first week. Second week, I kind of read God's Word every other day. Third week, I kind of read it maybe once a week. Sometimes it happens like that. But if you ask God to help you through this, and you say, this is what I want to do. Help me. I know my failings. I want to stick with this, and I want to study your Word. I want to grow as a Christian. And if that's your desire and you want to do that and you bring that before God, you better believe He's going to answer that prayer. He's going to help you through that. To know Him better, you've got to read His Word more. And He wants you to know Him better. So if you need to come and pray and just promise to God, you know, this is where I'm at and I want to read your Word more and I, I want to live it out. I want, I want people to see God in me. Jesus and me. If that's your prayer today, I encourage you to just uh, take some time with the Lord and pray as we sing the song.